Hello, and welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast of the University of Arkansas. My name is Matt McGowan. Today we are talking to Claire Terhune, Assistant Professor of Anthropology in the J. William Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences. Hello, thanks for having me. I guess the first question I want to ask you is uh, to talk a little bit about your your field generally. I recently relearned, I guess, that anthropology, at least as practiced in U.S. colleges and universities, has four distinct fields, biological anthropology, cultural, linguistic anthropology, and archaeology, which all seem very different to me. Uh, you are a biological anthropologist. What does this mean, and what do biological anthropologists do? That's a, a great question. So anthropology is a, I think, one of the most important things we can think about as human beings. Anthropology simply means the study of humans. Um, and it's thinking a little bit about how we relate to one another, both on a biological or cultural level. So cultural anthropologists study living people. Linguistic anthropologists study languages. Archaeologists study things that people have made. Um, and then biological anthropologists study, like myself, bones or um, how we are related to one another or the shape of our heads or the shape of our limbs or why we look the way we do, um, which I think is pretty cool because obviously we have a lot of variation in humans and we need to understand where that variation and diversity has come from in historic and prehistoric times and how we're related to other animals like primates, like chimpanzees, like other mammals. We have a lot of similarities and yet a lot of differences, which are kind of cool. Recently, you and uh, colleagues at two other universities, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Marquette University, received funding from the National Science Foundation to study, uh, bear with me here, the temporomandibular joint. What is the temporomandibular joint? Why is it important? And what will your study address? So the temporomandibular joint, or e the easiest way to say that, is just the TMJ. That's your jaw joint. Um, one of the big focuses of my research is understanding why the human skull looks the way it does, so why our heads look so different from other primates. Um, and part of that is that we eat very different things, we chew very differently. So a lot of what I think about is stuff that we do daily, three times a day, typically, um, and we use our jaw joint obviously when we talk, and we have all sorts of behaviors that we don't even think about that include our, our jaw. I like to think of the temporomandibular joint, the TMJ, as the most important joint in the body. I'm not biased or anything on that front. Um, but basically what I want to understand is, is how the joint is functioning in humans and how it compares to primates. So this research is combining a lot of different tracks of data, um, so the shape of the teeth, for example, is the component that my colleague at Johns Hopkins is looking at, and my colleague at Marquette University is looking at pathologies of the skull. So if you lose teeth before you die, for example, you might have some differences in how you chew. And then I'm looking at overall shape of the skull. So we're trying to put all of those pieces together where people haven't put those pieces together before. So trying to understand how the teeth and the joint and the overall skull are working together in both individuals who don't have anything wrong with their jaw, but also individuals who do have things wrong, who do have problems with their teeth or their, their jaw and things like that. And we're hoping to apply this later on to human health. Um, but right now, we're mostly looking across primates. Humans have, there's some ridiculous number of percentage of humans that have problems with their TMJ. Um, in your lifetime, probably you might bite on something weirdly or grind your teeth at night, and you might experience some 
some pain in your jaw. Most people will experience something like that. A lot of people also experience more severe symptoms and they'll seek out medical help for that. So one of our questions is how often do primates have problems with their jaw joints? Do we see the same level of issues in say a chimpanzee or a baboon that we see in humans? And can we look at the bone and figure that out? Because people will end up with osteoarthritis in their jaw joint and you can see changes in the bone for that. It's fascinating how um, how much we use this joint, how popular it is in that sense, and yet how how much we don't know about it. Exactly right. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of shape variation in the joint, and and your joint might look very different from my joint, and that might be related to the fact that that you're a male and I'm a female, but it could also be related to how we're eating different food items or just how differences in our skulls are manifesting in the joint. And one of the best parts about my job is that as part of this NSF, I get to go to places like the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, which is where I was a few weeks ago, and just sit in rooms where I'm surrounded by a bunch of bones and a bunch of skulls and, and just do science. It's really exciting. So for the past five summers, you've spent significant time at the, see if I pronounce this correct, Emil Rakovita Institute of Speleology in Bucharest, Romania. Uh, and you've taken several of your students there with you. Tell me about the work you've done at Emil Rakovita. A large component of my research, in addition to the work that I'm doing looking at um, living primate skulls, for example, I look at fossil humans. I try to understand how humans evolved, um, where we came from, how we migrated and dispersed across the globe. And my work in Romania really helps me get at that. I have several colleagues, both in Romania and the U.S., who have been working with for a number of years on this. And the idea is that about 1.8 million years ago, um, humans, probably something like Homo erectus, migrated out of Africa for the first time. Probably a little bit older than that, but our best estimates put them around 1.8 million years ago. Um, and But humans don't really get to Europe, so we have fossils in the Republic of Georgia, um, which is kind of Western Asia, and we have fossils in Spain by about 1.4 million years ago. So why did they, why did it take them so long to get through Europe and into to Spain, for example? And when they did do that, somewhere between that 1.8 to 1.4 million years ago, how did they get there and what were the environmental conditions like? And Romania is kind of on that pathway. It's kind of the gateway to Europe in a lot of ways. And so we've been working in Romania as a way to try to understand migrations of, of humans, early humans, into Europe. And the reason we work there is that back in the 60s, um, the, the research area that we're particularly interested in is called the, the Oltets Valley, Oltets River Valley. And back in the 1960s, um, there were a number of larger scale excavations that were conducted in that research area, in that, in that river valley. And they uncovered at the time what is still to this day the most fossiliferous site in Eastern Europe. So it means most fossils. And so there's somewhere around 5,000 or so fossils from this fossil site. They suggested, hey, we think we have some stone tools that humans might have left behind. Um, and over time, people have have um, questioned whether those are legit stone tools, whether they're really um, left by humans, created by humans. Um, but we have this ex excellent opportunity to go back to the site, go back to this research area, and try to look for evidence of humans. Paleoanthropologists such as yourself and archaeologists 
are looking at the Oltet River Valley, tell me again what the name of the most important site there is. The name of that site is called Gronchianu. Gronchianu. At that site and others, possibly um, one thing that uh, scientists are looking for is perhaps evidence of human life. Why would that be important if you were to find them? Well, um, so that, that's a great question. So one, you know, it's, it's one thing to go look at the fossils that are from a site and just try to understand the environment, which that is really important too. What was the environment like at that time in Europe? What was the landscape like? What type of animals were there? For, for comparison, um, at that time in Europe, we're talking about a landscape that would have included um, saber-toothed cats and giant hyenas and woolly rhinos and mammoths and giraffe-like species and deer and horses that you would expect most of the time. But this is a very different landscape than what you see in Eastern Europe today. Um, so one, it's valuable to compare those, but two, looking for evidence of humans in that area could tell us about how they're getting through into Europe, how are they interacting with other animals, were there saber-toothed cats, for example, that they were having to compete with to access food. So our questions have to do with how are those animals interacting on the landscape, how are they moving through, were they not able to even get into this area because they were out-competed by these other animals. Um, it's really exciting to think about what these hominins might have been like on a landscape. Hominins just means ancient human, fossil human. Um, so what would they have looked like? How would they have behaved? Um, if we, I, would, I hope that we will find uh, a skull at some point in time, for example, a fossil human, and, and that would be really exciting because then we could try to understand what species is it? Um, how does the skull look? How big were they? Some of these hominins, some of these, these humans, the ones that first migrated out of Africa into the Republic of Georgia were really small. And so you're talking about this little tiny human that doesn't have a brain the size of ours, right? Probably behaved in some ways like us, but this little tiny human with some human behaviors on a landscape, competing with saber-toothed cats, competing with hyenas, surrounded by mammoths. I can't even imagine what that's like, and it's exciting for me to think about that. Well, thank you, Dr. Turgeon, for taking the time and talking with us today about your research. It's really interesting. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, and um, I'm always interested to hear feedback and if people have questions. I think, again, one of the most important things we can do as scientists is to talk to the public about what we do and share what we learn. Thank you. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris, guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to KUAF.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.